0: Hi. Bonjour. Hola. We are Distractions Media, your favorite place for podcasts, videos, streams, and tabletop role playing games. It's time once again for our annual 24 hour charity live stream. And this year, we are raising money for Extra Life. Extra Life is a charity that raises funds for sick children who are in hospitals, helping to provide needed treatments, medication, and even entertainment. It's so important to help those who are most precious. More information about Extra Life can be found at extra-life.org. So how can you help? We're glad you asked. On Saturday, December 7th at noon Eastern. Join us and help us meet our goal of raising $1,000 for this fantastic cause. We have some fun events planned for all of our viewers, and some giveaways. So won't you join the chaos in playing games, spreading laughter, and most importantly, saving lives? More information will be available at distractionsmedia.com charitystream charity stream. We say this for all the children who will directly benefit from your support. Thank, Thank you. you. Welcome back to the Welsh History Podcast, episode 109, The Survival of Cymre. So today is one of those episodes where we go outside of the timeline to talk in general about the subject heading. In episode 38, we talked extensively about Brythonic, the precursor of the Welsh language, as the language of the kingdoms that were heirs to the Roman Empire. As I did on that episode, I'm going to lean heavily on Professor Janet Davies, a historian who has written the book The Welsh Language, A History, for her assistance on this subject because her understanding and translations and general knowledge are just so much better than anything I could ever do or say or project. So, as I said, I'm going to rely a lot on her. So from the 5th century to the ninth, Brythonic slowly started to localize, standardize, and become the language we largely know as Cumbric, Cymreg, and Cornish. Cymreg was the language of the Old North, the former kingdoms of Britain in southern Scotland. It is a language that died out when the Normans came north and the Scots south. Now, for the sake of consistency, I'm going to refer to Cymreg as Welsh in this episode, but I want to acknowledge it really is Cymreg. While Irish Scottish Gaelic at one time likely have a common origin to Welsh and Cornish, they are similar in connection in the same way that German and English are. They started in the same place, but neither side knows the other. The Old Welsh, as we know, it existed around the time of Rodri Mawr and his sons. At the time, the Saxons and the Vikings had shut the door to much of the connections between the Welsh, the Cornish, and the Cumbric kingdoms. With this closure came even more localization of language, and likely localized dialects. It may have been as difficult for someone in Gluissing to understand a member of the Gwyneth court as it was for a Mercian to understand either. We unfortunately do not have a lot of material written in that early language. Most of the North in that period did not produce written documents, though monks such as Nennius were writing It was in Latin, not Welsh. And of course, we don't exactly know how things were pronounced. As with that in mind, I want to reiterate something I've said before. I will be quoting inscriptions and trying my best to my ability, but keep in mind, I'm not very good at Welsh pronunciation. If you haven't figured that out after 109 episodes, I really don't know what to tell you. Um, But nonetheless, we'll do what we can, and hopefully it will be respectful, at least. Um... One of the oldest forms of the Welsh language was found in Tynwyn Merinith, which was carved on a gravestone covering around 810 CE. Cun ben Calen tres kent nitanam. That's as close as I'm going to get, which translates to Kaigen's corpse dwells beneath me. These words are not Welsh in the modern sense, but you can see the roots of it. Callan and Trisit and Tan in Nitam are now modern versions of Calain, corpse, Trigo, what dwells, and Dan, beneath. Most of our knowledge of Old Welsh comes from brief comments in the sides of other documents, small poems an account of a land dispute in the margins of an 8th-century gospel of all things, the poetry that comes from a late ninth century manuscript called the Unicus Manuscript. It was a copy of an older text written in late Roman by a Christian author who was writing a poetic version of the gospels for Latin readers and likely for oral transmission. However, the significance of this for the Welsh language is not the original work, but notations on the top and sides of this book. This manuscript includes two poems which are actually written in Old Welsh in the margins of this manuscript, one in three verses, and the second is nine verses long. The first poem is about a warrior called Juvenicus Three, and while I will not try and mangle this in Old Welsh, I'll read it in English, it says i will not speak tonight my warband is not overly big i and my freedmen around our cauldron i will not laugh i will not speak tonight although we drank matured mead i and my freedmen around our bowl let no one ask for merriment from me tonight my company is lowly two lords may converse one speaks It is thought this poem refers to a warrior who had joined a group of either former slaves or mercenaries after losing a battle, and is depressed that he must join this rather dodgy group. The second and longer one is a Christian praise poem. While we have no idea where these two poems came from, we do know the name of the author's Nado. Interestingly, the name is Old Irish, not Welsh, which may mean that he's an Irish monk working in Wales or maybe of Irish ancestry. Much like many of the old monks, we only know that much about him. The longest document that we have in Old Welsh is from the 10th century and is known as the Competus Fragment, a single piece of vellum, a type of calfskin that was used as paper in the medieval period. The document is a discussion about the cycles of the moon and the zodiac, the fact that it is written exclusively in Old Welsh shows that the language had been evolving and was rapidly changing into a language of complex thought and dialogue. It's very interesting to understand that this was happening and that these discussions were going on. Frankly, some people will think that what this was all about was trying to prove um, the cycles of the moon as far as uh, Easter is concerned which is very interesting because, of course, at this time the arguments about when Easter was probably were still pretty hot in the Celtic church of this period. We have talked in the past about the great Godothan warrior poem and that it was collected in a book of Aneurin. This is a 13th century document, effectively, that is created around the last years of Welsh independence when a lot of other poems and stories and things like that were finally set down as myths, legends, and in some cases, histories. And even things like the Chronicles of the Princes and all of that kind of stuff were sort of create, not created would be the wrong word, but collected at least in this period. And Godolphin is one of those. This was a collection of these stories and chronicles, this Book of Anurin. But it is the Godothan that stands out as one of the oldest signs of the Welsh coming out of Brythonic. Although Godothan, of course, is a poem probably of the Old North and not of Wales, it appears that poet bards such as Anurin and Talazin, who feature in these stories, are more than likely to also be Cumbric in origin. The translations and the transliterations of these documents likely were passed down to North Wales and the independent kingdoms and were seen as important points of contact. Of course, the Old North was significant to the Welsh long after it had passed from being an ongoing concern and a cultural concern for those people. And so its myth, legends and stories continued forward because of that. Obviously, initially, most of these works were oral in tradition and likely were written down well after their proposed 6th century and 7th century origins, as was the same with the Red Book of Hergest, which is a collection which, again, is invaluable to some extent as they capture the literature from ages long past, but also at the same time because they're oral traditions and because they're written after the fact. The 15th century Hergest In this case, it's hard to completely trust the stories. They are myths, legendary in nature, and their accuracy to what was originally told can be debatable at times. Also coming about during this period was another poem, which I have quoted in the past, called the Armés Priden which I probably massacred, I'm sorry, The Prophecy of Britain. It was written in the early 10th century about the inevitable rise of the Celts to throw out the Saxons and the Vikings. And this is probably the best example of national ambition that featured at that late of a date. As the Vikings invaded the British Isles, they made an indelible impression on the English language, as mentioned previously, but they also affected the Welsh. The word Jarl, It has its origins not in Earl, but in the earlier Nordic Jarl. Uh, Of course, English names of Anglesey, Fishguard, and Swansea are suggested to be of Nordic origin as well. With the Viking settlements in Ireland cutting off links to the British nations, that may have also helped Welsh to continue to evolve on its own. By the Norman conquest in 1066, Welsh was becoming what we now call Middle Welsh. This is likely due in part to the merging of the Welsh kingdoms into larger ones and the spread of an influence of Gwynedd, Powys, and Dwythbarth. If you're like me and eating healthy is a bit of a problem, let me bend your ear a little bit to eat stress-free this spring with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, Get chef-prepared meals on the table in two minutes with Factors' ready-to-eat meals so you can get back to doing what you love this spring. Also, if you're looking for gourmet meals, try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. We're celebrating Earth Day all month long. Look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for our lowest carbon footprint meals. Head to factormeals.com slash welsh history pod 50 and use the code welsh history pod 50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. That's code welsh history pod 50 at factormeals.com slash welsh history pod 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. As the dominant kingdoms of Wales, which would have standardized the language even more because, of course, the crown typically is where the lead documentation and the lead understanding of the language comes from. Also, writers were starting to write more in Welsh rather than previously in Latin and other documents. Uh, The... Laws of Huel Thaw, which were likely written down in the 12th century under the pressures of Norman marcher lords and the need for a applicable Welsh law, these were written in Welsh as well as Latin. Uh, another major influence on the language continued to be bards and poets who were in the Welsh courts. The massive Mabinogi was collected in the eleventh and twelfth century, and gave place for the mythological beginnings of the Welsh, and how it tied to the greater historic whole. The language at this point was now borrowing from its neighbours, from English. The number of things were lifted, including cap as capan silk cydan, wheelbarrow burva, table, berthin, uh, and gate llithart, And I'm masquerading these, I know, in Welsh derived from Old English counterparts. After the conquest, Norman French added windowpane, gualle, baron, or berun, and warrant, or guarant, to the language. Welsh had remained generally free from Old English, but the invasion of the Normans would not really allow that as Norman English started to settle and control parts of the South and East Wales, so typically it created more sharing of language in the largest until modern English. One thing I can say, as I've noticed over the years, is I think there is slight differences from North to South Welsh versions of the language my relatives in North Wales rule their R's a lot more than they do in the South that I've noted. I've also noted a much more lilty style in the Southern version, but that may be influenced by where I was located most of my time in Wales, which was Cardiff and, of course, the valleys being so close. The dialectic differences were noted as far back as Gerald of Wales, who said that the North Welsh were more delicate and richer since it had not been conquered by the Normans, whereas the South Welsh was more different due to this mixing. But he also was quoted as saying that the language of Cardigion deep in southwest Wales was the most refined, so who knows. As mentioned in other episodes, Welsh lords, kings, and princes were heavily influenced by the Norman conquest, they themselves picking up French as the courtly language and in dealing with those new leaders in England. that So they spoke French, wrote in Latin, or at least their, their advisers did. The French language was influential on Middle Welsh through forms and conventions of the language, but Welsh was by no means completely subsumed in court. Most of the court's Feast, halls, and dining table talks were held in Welsh. In the marcher areas, English and Flemish migrants also influenced the language with their own way, even as some parts of their culture went native, to cone an old phrase. The Welsh took to Norman names. In fact, both of my family names, Williams and Jones, have origins in French names that were popular along with Robert in Wales in the 12th and 13th centuries. Wales Of these and many centuries to come would be a place where the people spoke one language, Kamenig. As the language was influenced and different sounds were created from north to south, one thing that stood firmly was that the written word was standardized. The effect of this standardization actually creates a bit of a problem for historians and archaeologists. For example, the Chronicle of the Princes in all of its variants, is so standardized that no one can identify for sure what exactly it was written. The northern version, the southern version, the western version, they look almost identical in writing, which of course is both a positive and a negative, as you can see in that example. One, much easier to understand if you're not dealing with variations in localized dialects, but at the same time, it makes it very difficult to identify what part of the country it came from, which in and of itself is a problem. In the midst of the conquests by Edward, his demands of English laws and English monetary systems and government could not drive out the poets, bards, and eventually clergymen who worked in their own way to keep Welsh going. Funded by new masters, the poets wrote epic Welsh poems lamenting the loss of their king and princes. They talked about the love of their country and of their local towns and cities. They talked of the land and all that was great about it, and they did so in Welsh. And in a way, they remonstrated towards what was lost and that golden age that had been. In the 15th century, as Welsh survived and thrived, English returned to the language of law and court and the day-to-day life of the nobility. The change of a century without a province in France and the need to heal after the Civil War had led to revivals, for the English language at least, and in so doing set the stage for their own bards, poets, and writers to carry that forward. However, This would have its own set of consequences in Wales, where, as the state began to be an English-only affair, replacing both French and Latin as the main language of administration, this would create in the gentry, in all parts of Wales, a desire to be fluent in English as the language that would have to make all their legal proceedings in, do all their financial exchanges in, and also... For merchants to do their trade in, because of course you're dealing with England at this point, it created a terrible momentum which likely increased when one of their own, Henry Tudor, ascended to the English throne as Henry the seventh, and with that, we see Welsh change yet again, and things continue to progress. You know, make no mistake for all the talk in some circles of the idea of Welsh as being a a stagnant language, which some people put forward, I would argue that it's always been a free-flowing language that continues to progress. Just like any other language, it's older than most of them. And because of that, it has changed more in the older days than it has in more modern times. But much like every language that's out there from, you know, be it Japanese to English to Russian to Swahili, they're all affected by languages around them and the importing of cultural ideas from other people. So when we bring words from English into Welsh, like parking, as partio, that doesn't defame or destroy the Welsh language, it enriches it. It's exactly what's happened to English. English has long been known as the mutt of languages. It picks up grammar from other languages. It picks up words from other languages constantly and uses them for their own benefit. Even Japanese words that have been used and are common in Japan are slowly becoming common in in America. You just have to look at the anime and manga culture in America to see where that's happening. Word borrowing from, say, Spanish as well. You know, not to use food examples, but taco, burrito, all of those things have come into the language, and they come in just like French did with its various derivative things. Like, think of cul-de-sac as an example of that. We use words in English that are very much not English words, And we continue to do that. Blitzkrieg, uh, kindergarten, all of those kind of things. So, So for when people say that somehow Welsh is degrading because it's having to, in quotes, borrow words from other languages, be clear on this. It isn't that. It's growing. It's a continued growth that comes from a language maturing, changing, and dealing with changing vocabulary, changing language, changing culture, changing generations who use words that were never used in the past or used in ways they never were meant to be in the past, such as wicked being a form of that's great as opposed to that's bad. Um, All of these things are very different than they were years and years ago. So with that in mind, I think it, it it's, without getting too political, it's something to keep in mind. I would quite bluntly love to know and be able to converse in Welsh and to teach my children Welsh. Once we moved from Wales, that became a very increasingly difficult thing to do, but it is something I regret to some extent. I am, and would love to know the language properly. But the reality of my life is, is it's not practical for me to know it, because unfortunately I don't converse in it enough to make it useful for me to learn it. And I don't keep things in my brain from just reading it like many of us do. Eventually, If and when I move back to Wales, I will once again try and pick up the language. I think it's important to understand where the nation has come from and where it's going. And the language of our ancestors is important. Even if we never know it fully or can't, you know, get our mouths around it, it's still critical to the way we think and feel and understand things as descendants of Wales and people living in Wales. And with that, I'm going to leave it there on my little rant And uh, if you have any comments, questions or concerns, you can always reach me at the Welsh History Podcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at Welsh History Pod and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Welsh History Podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great day. Take care. Bye. This has been a Distractions Media production. And for everything we do, check out distractionsmedia.com. Coming up on 5 Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis.